Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. The boys in white and blue, mostly blue, after a disappointing playoff result. You are listening to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFT and Soccer Show, broadcasting on CITR Radio 101.9 FM from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of Beautiful British Columbia. I'm Michael McCall. I'm Steve Pander. And I'm Zachary Adam Eisenheimer. And this is going to be an episode of highs and lows, playoff success and playoff failure, because we're going to be looking at the MLS playoffs from a Whitecaps perspective, but then we're also going to be turning our attention to the Canadian Premier League playoff from a Pacific FC perspective. One team's happy, one team's not. You should all know who that is by now. We'll get into all of that. But let's kick things off on a high. It's the penultimate opening of Steve Panda's gift that keeps giving, although only for one more week. It's his 2011 Upper Deck Soccer Trading Card Pack MLS edition that he gave us as a present last year. We've been opening the packs over the course of the year. I'd hoped we would have the last pack opened as the Whitecaps had their last game, but we just got there a little bit too soon. But let's get into the penultimate pack. I still need 12 cars to complete my set. And there's 12 cars left to open. Let's see who we've got. Zach's already torn his open with his helper, Kirk. Let's see what I've got. You can you can start there, things off, Zach. I have a first player here. Is a player who won the MLS Cup with the Columbus crew in 2008 before being, being taken away by another team where I think he also won an MLS Cup later on. He's hated in this region. That doesn't he's, narrow it down. He says he's a midfielder, but he's played a lot of defense. Brad Evans. Oh. He, would never, he would never sign for the Whitecaps. Is he, is he that hated? I thought there was more, more hated people than that. I think there's more no, hated than him. No, he was really not liked. Oh, Really? Yeah. This, there were so many things you could do with his first name as well when I did my team of the weeks with Brad it could be bread if you went for a hillbilly one you could just add a, two letters in front of that but let's get into my one now LA Galaxy we're starting off with a midfielder I don't really remember him but he spent 10 years in Europe and played in England, Germany and Portugal before joining MLS 
is Jovan Karofsky. Oh, yeah, I have him. He's a galaxy. I have a player who I might consider adding to my back line. It's defender at the time from the San Jose Earthquakes, Ike Para. Ah. I have somebody that I may already have, or Zach's got it. I'm thinking Zach's got it. He's a forward from DC United. It's Chris Pontius. Oh, yeah, I got him. I have a player that Michael has that I don't really want, but I do want to complete the series, so you have to get them all. He's left back. In the dressing room. Also, another flounder. It's Leo Gonzalez. Oh, I've got another forward. This is pretty much a forwards pack, actually, looking at this. From Columbus Crew, Andre Mendoza. Next, I have goalkeeper from... The FC Gold Pride. It's Nicole Barnhart. Oh. Do you have that one, Michael? I have, yes. She's a keeper. Midfielder, FC Dallas, Daniel Hernandez. Uh, here's someone who you have, Michael. Uh, you passed up for him. I don't think he'll I don't think he'll make my starting eleven. It's goalkeeper from Jamaica, playing for LA of his own accord. Donovan Ricketts. Oh, you've got Ricketts. You've got Ricketts. I have a former white cap, although he's in his Red Bulls jersey in this card. It was fleeting, his stay in Vancouver, but he made a good impact. I, I quite liked him when he was here. Dane Richards. Yes. Uh, my last card is also a former white cap, and actually his photo here is him practicing at, at Tempire. It's uh, who Michael likes to refer to as Sick Note. It's good old John, John Thorrington. Yes. In a yeah, high executive a... position, is it general manager or chief executive, whatever he is uh, at LAFC? The man who just fired Bob Bradley this week. Sorry, mutually agreed to, to part ways. I believe now I have three cards left I need in the last pack, I think. Oh, interesting. Well, my last card is somebody that I'm needing. You already have him. He's in your starting 11, sadly, because I would have possibly stuck him in mine. You put your left arm in, your left arm out. In, out, in, out. You put the Irish out. It's Thierry Henry. So that is it. It's exciting. We're down to one more pack. That's going to be in our next show, which will be our Whitecaps end of season special. We'll be doing all our awards. We'll be looking back over the course of the season. Ah, because the season is over. We're going to get into that in this part. I was swept up in the tide of emotion and expectation, maybe a little bit too much so. You two guys, you were more grounded. You you saw this coming. But the Whitecaps are out. They're one and done. The 2021 season is over. A 3-1 loss at Sporting Kansas City on Saturday afternoon. And we're recording this pretty much right after the match and the post-game stuff, so a lot of stuff fresh in our mind just to get it out there. That can be good. That can be bad. But we'll see how this goes. We've got no rundown either. We're just going to go with the flow, see where things take us. Before we get into to that, how are you feeling, Steve? The season's over. A bit disappointing. It kind of feels a little bit of a letdown, but it, it probably shouldn't because there's a lot of positives to take. And it was a great last couple of months. It was a great ride while it lasted. Yeah, um, it's it really, the amount of letdown you have is probably how much hopes you had before it. Mm -hmm. Like, how much hope you built up yourself. Uh, for me, it, 
it was going to be a difficult, like just making the playoffs um, was, it was a big accomplishment and um, it was going to be a tough task, no matter where you went, Seattle, Colorado, um, and, and Kansas city, obviously, I think the best chance they had was if they finished fifth, uh, like yeah. we talked about before and, and it played Portland. Uh, but even that was going to be difficult in the playoffs, but yeah, it, it was just a matter of, uh, whether they could handle it and it didn't help, uh, just quickly, like talking about the line, we're not, we'll talk about the lineup in a second, but the changes <laughs> that were made, they did not help. Yes, and I think a lot of people's predictions would have uh, been altered if those uh, lineup changes were known beforehand. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll delve into that very shortly because you you can't not. It's it's the big talking point for me coming into this one. I mean, what's your feelings just now? Just about everything's at the the season. The season ended the way it's ended. Going back to last week's show, I think I said it's going to be three wins in Kansas City. So I think it, it went out the way I thought it would, would go out. But I, I can't help but echo your guys' sentiments in that I think people, for the, I've seen a mixed, little mixed response. I haven't dug too deep, but a lot of people are just like, oh, thanks for a good end to the season. We're excited about next year, blah, blah. But I think when you looked at that starting 11, and yes, there were some circumstances around some players not being available, some players not being fully ready to start. That was understandable, but I I really question a couple a couple of the cho- at least a couple of the choices to start certain players. That like it just it feels you like it feels like they didn't put their most optimal you know foot forward, the most optimal lineup out there. And so it there is a there is a bitter there is a bitter sweetness I think to to it ending. Aside from the other fact, which I think we'll talk about in greater detail later, of the the euphoria over making the playoffs, uh, kind of you know being more significant than actually doing something in the playoffs. So yeah, those yeah. are things that. Sound funny. I mean, hindsight is always a wonderful thing, especially in football, because you can be so clever after the fact and analyze things to death after the fact. But I mean, one one thing for me, Steve, there was this two-week break and we spoke about it midweek I asked Vanny about it it could have gone one or two ways it could have killed the Whitecaps momentum or it could have kept them going from a KC point of view it could have given them the chance to regroup and find that end of season or that earlier in the season form that they had uh, or they could have continued on their bad form in which they, they came into the playoffs on the back of three straight defeats it certainly looked like it, it killed the Whitecaps' momentum a little bit. KC certainly had a chance to regroup, but I think it, it's not even as simple as that. I just think the quality of KC just shone today. They were the far better team from the early going. Yeah, um, my biggest issue, like the biggest thing was the uh, combination of it being a two-week break and the players having the thing where um, we made the playoffs and that was the biggest accomplishment. And would. W- would the two-week break cause that mentality to grow? Uh, sometimes if you go right into the playoffs after having some that, you can have the momentum carry over into the playoffs and win that first game. But with a two-week break, that momentum is gone at, then at that point. And I, I don't think the form really plays a part, but I think that whole mentality of, you know, carrying that over into the playoffs was probably squelched by the um, by the break. So let's get into the, the lineup. So, so Zach's touched on that. When I when I saw it, because I, I was watching the, the CPL semi-final and thought, oh, the lineups are out, I'll check my phone. 
And I, I was very confident for the Whitecaps heading into this one. I thought they might need extra time or penalties to do it, but I, I, I genuinely thought that they, they would get through this. And the build-up to this, a lot of the experts, though, were, were tipping the Whitecaps as well. Some of them even had them as MLS Cup winners. Everyone getting swept away on on the Vanny Sertini wave, I, I think it might have been. But then as soon as I saw that lineup, I was like, oh, we are in trouble here. And it didn't make a, a lot of sense to me. Now, you guys didn't get a chance to, to see the post game because it wasn't up on, on Twitter. So I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit uh, about it in a sec. But before I do that, let me just play you Vanny Sertini talking about those changes de- defensively. Defensively, I, I think when people saw the lineup, they were maybe a little surprised that both Eric yeah, Godoy yeah. and Ranko were, were out. What was behind your decision on that back three? Well, Ranko didn't train very well uh, till uh, till till Thursday because he had a little bit of growing problem. So Andy was very solid during training, and Andy did very well. And uh, so I'm happy that also he did a good he did a good performance. Uh, about Eric, uh, I am I'm I'm a little pissed because I'm the one to blame to be honest because I saw him uh, very good in training, but Flo and Jake they were they were being very solid in the last game. So I wanted to start with Flo and Jake again, and uh, but that's uh, and that's the reason why I put Eric at the half because. Uh, uh, I wanted him to bring his uh, quality, especially not defensively, but more when we have the ball. And uh, I think in the second half, our build-up was better. So Vanni Sartini there just shedding a little bit of light into why he went with a back three of Florian Jungwert, Andy Rose and Jake Nerwinski. So in summary, Ranko didn't train well this week. Eric Godoy did have a good week of training. And... Vanny is blaming himself for making the decision of not to start Eric Godoy. And Ranko also had a little bit of a knock. Christian Gutierrez went out of training on Thursday towards the end, and it turned out he had a hamstring injury. Um, Javain Brown, as we, we spoke to Vanny about in the midweek show, was flying in from Jamaica, having played for the national team, only joined up with them in KC on Friday, so had no time to, to work together. But the combination of that, for me, is where this fell down for the, the Whitecaps. The wingbacks were just simply not involved in this game until very late on when Bruno Gaspar switched over to the right side. He came into it a lot more then. The back three, I said I would go with Jake, and I would have gone with Florian, and then it was a toss-up for me of Eric Godoy or Ranko, and nothing against Andy Rose here, who I actually thought had a pretty decent game, but this is the kind of game that really, you want to be starting your your top three centre-backs, which in this case is Ranko, Godoy and Florian. What did you think when, when you saw it, Steve? Um, I was I was very much questioning it. Uh, the biggest issue I had was the, the Andy Rose selection. For me, it would have to be that both of those players were injured beyond where they can't play. And if Renko is not uh, good enough to be starting, he shouldn't be on the bench, like health-wise. So, Because there's no point in having that on there. 
So the, for me, and, and Ranko, they're saying that Ranko's not trained well. I'm sorry. Like, it's not always about the training. Sometimes you have to go with the player that's got you there in the first place. And to me, that doesn't make sense. You have somebody like Andy Rose who, who came on as a sub against Seattle in the final game. And then prior to that had played on October 2nd. Yeah, I think it was seven weeks since his last appearance. Yeah, and you, you uh, training is not the same as and all play. I think almost all players will tell you that the coaches will tell you this that training is not the same as the game play. Like you, you can't always translate what you see on the training pitch to the play. If that was the case, then there's a lot of players that would have better careers. Uh, like so for me, no, it doesn't make sense. The Ranko one, Gutierrez one is obviously. Uh, that that was probably uh, that was unfortunate. Like yeah, yeah. But uh, for me, Javane Brown is not like an elderly player that he needs to rest or anything like that. I'm thinking he should have been able to play. I don't know how much did he play against for Jamaica. Did he play? He, the he played the whole game against the U.S. I'm not sure about the one on the Friday because I hadn't. But that was but that up. was only two games. That's happened before where people have gone away for international duty. Yeah, they but should then be he's available. Flying, and then he's just he's it's because he hadn't trained with the team. But we spoke about that midweek. He knows the system in and out. Yeah. You know what's no, expected this, of him. That doesn't make sense to me either. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, a, a player like that, I can tell. I can understand if it was three games, a three game window where he played every game. That you know maybe he can't play. But no, to me that that doesn't make sense. It, the seventy-five uh, percent uh, Javane Brown is better than one hundred percent Marcus Gudinho at this yeah. point. And it's like n- not a knock on Gudinho. Who, I mean, all the all the guys had a bit of a torrid time out there, Zach. But the defensive play in that first half, they Kansas City must have been just licking their lips. The first thirty minutes of that one. They just ran at the Whitecaps, and Florian Jungwert did not have a good game, but he wasn't alone. How big a difference maker was this for you? Was this the make or break, the fact that we didn't have a better defence out there? Yeah, yeah, I think I think so. And, it, and it's not just the centre-backs, it's those full-backs as well, like, like you guys were saying earlier. I, I mean, uh, personally, I would. I know they didn't do this a lot this year, but... I would have done what uh, what Steve said. I would have had Godoy, Ranko, and Flo starting together. Uh, I know Jake. Jake probably earned his spot and has has contributed significantly. But I probably would have with those three, or at least two of those three with Jake. The fact that Ro- and I know Rose had like the second highest who scored rating on the team in the game, and the commentator or the I think oh the radio. I think I think Corey on the radio after was talking about he was maybe their best player and stuff, but he. <laughs> I don't know. He wasn't. It was. He wasn't good enough. And and I, I just struggled and, to pick a best player. To be honest, I I don't yeah, think anyone exactly. really got good but pass also, marks today. It wasn't even defensively. He got on the end of a of a set piece where he should have scored. Mm-hmm. Like you know what I mean. Like it wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't. It was just a soft header. And yet yeah, you saw the difference so- Godoy made when he when he came on. Yes. There, there was an interesting oh, yeah. start after the game that between. I think it was something like the 35th and the 85th minute, the Whitecaps held KC to just two shots and they both ended up in the back of the net. So they they did regroup. It was the first half hour that killed them. And KC, I mean, they came out hungry. Kinda had a, a chance that flashed just wide seven minutes in and you're like, oh, they're they're threatening already. And then they took the lead in the 17th minute. It was a 
lovely bit of footwork in the box by Shelton to, to put that away. Cut back by Zussi was tremendous. And like Zussi was a star for Kansas City today. But some of the marking on that goal, Steve, was just awful from a Whitecaps perspective. So yeah, that that goal is just like they were they were basically split apart. It seemed like the the back line like they just didn't could and they couldn't get to that ball that, on that key pass. Like uh, Kyrie Shelton was basically running free in the box, and you should never have a number nine who is not is not considered the fleetest of feet to be able to run free. And you have to have somebody. And I know I don't know if they were doing zonal marking, which we'll talk about on the uh, second goal. Uh, but you got to have you got to pick up your players as they're coming across the box. I mean, it's they win possession and they they counter quickly, right? And they use this space really, really wise. So Zuzi strips the ball or whatever, and and Vancouver's you know at you know at sixes and sevens at the back, like they're not not in a good spot, right, Michael? And it, it's a nice cross field ball. And I don't know if you can totally blame Gashbar because he's tucking in. Gash, I think so. Gashbar thinks he thinks he has enough time to get over to Zuzi if he needed to, but I don't think no one was expecting that the cross ball, the cross field ball like that. And Zuzi, I think, realized that I can try and get this under control, but then I'll be under pressure. And so, kind of lunges at it to get a touch. And the 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 finish is not a it's not a great finish. It's a good idea, but it I think Shelton's a little bit lucky that it went in. But it was a really really nice play. Where they just countered Vancouver really quickly and caught really just caught them holistically out at the back. Shelton had two guys in front of him, and I don't know if one of them could have reacted a little bit better, but it wasn't as good a finish as I first thought when I was watching it live. And then when I'd seen the replay, play, I was like, oh, he's kind of fallen over a little bit, but he, I still think he took it well. Oh, I know he missed I think he mishits it, Michael, but his, his, his idea was right, but I don't think he hit it exactly how he wanted to. But it still went my, in. My point is that they would like the about him letting being able to run free. He's entering the box, and the back line is backing up on him. Like somebody should have met him up with him at that at that point because he was the sole player in the box. But yeah, I mean yeah. for sure, Steve. There's no doubt that one of the two defenders there should be closer to him for sure. Yeah, like the, the whole like, time. The whole time. When, when the pass is coming in, like they're they're backing up, and then all of a sudden they have to move forward and. It's like you're. It's hard to make that movement, especially when you have an Andy Rose who's not the again not the fleetest of feet people, not somebody that's agile in the box, and it's it's impossible to do that. So you got to pick up yeah. those players. Like at that point when the cross is brought back into the uh, not the cross the the pass back into the in the six yard area, there's just one player, Kansas City player in the box, and you should be picking that player up as as soon as he comes into that area. Yeah, that's a dangerous spot. The thing is, though, despite how the game was going, and it it certainly felt like it was one-way KC traffic at that point, I, I was a little bit worried that as soon as the second goal went in, that that was going to be it, and you felt a second goal was possibly coming. But it didn't come. They, they buckled a little bit, but they, they, they held firm. But even with all that was going on, and the fact that the Whitecaps weren't really generating much... Because of what we've seen from this Whitecaps team this season, I was still confident because I was chatting to a couple of folk and I was like, I'm confident that they can get back in this. And they they did. They they tied things up six minutes before half time from the penalty spot. And it was a clear 
handball. It was clearly a penalty. And I don't blame the referee for not calling it because when you see it from behind the goal, the referee's got a lot of players in front of him. There's no way that he could see it. I'm still not totally sure how the linesman didn't see it in, in real yeah. time. But that's why we've well, got VAR. And I mean, it was a clear penalty. No, linesman might have been blocked by Rowe. Uh, he was blocked by White, Mike. Uh-huh. Yeah, because White was playing all like big trying to ready to take the shot. So he might have been blocked by that. So it was kind <laughs> of like, it was odd because the his hands were like in a T-shape. So it's kind of like... It, across his body so you basically can't really see it extending or whatever possibly if you're right on it so yeah it was odd to see it definitely a clear penalty i'm surprised white saw it considering his ha- eyes were closed mm. when it hit, it hit his head <laughs> white had, white had opened his eyes and he was like oh my god it's a handball um it, it was a stupid way to, to give away a penalty as well it's like if if that's your defender you're like why are you sticking your arm out like that yeah that's the i like he's i was getting, getting ready to jump though right yeah, yeah, but I, I, I don't I know if mentioned... Steve was practicing in his no, in his house today. That's, <laughs> no, that's not the way I would jump on that, something like that. I don't know why you would spread out your hands like that. That's yeah. unnatural. I think he's, he was landing, right? He was like, no, no, he was he was he had his hands extended before he even jumped up. Oh. He had his hands extended before he jumped up. Like we called, we talked about the Dahomey uh, penalty against Seattle a couple weeks ago. That yeah. was somewhat natural. I don't think that was totally unnatural. This was unnatural. Yeah, this, this was, was totally. This, that's a key def like basically if there was a definition of unnatural that would be in the the picture beside the definition so 39th minute christian dahomey steps up to the spot he's been clinical from the spot all year but we know how good tim melia is as well at, at saving penalties it was always going to be interesting if we got to shoot out Crepo against melia who was going to yeah. have the upper hand there but dajo cool as a cucumber slotted at home I'm a little surprised the blue hell there that they the cauldron or whatever. I'm surprised they don't go do something more visual when someone's taking a penalty. Like y'all get your scar. I know you don't want to look mm. like you're cheering on the person. Yeah, but doesn't penalty. it bother the goalkeeper more when you're making noise behind it? Oh, oh I, yeah, I, they, they're making no, they were making noise, but it's not the noise I'm talking about. See, you want a visual distraction? Yeah, I'm surprised they didn't get their scarves and everyone wave their scarves. I, or I don't know how much that distracts the penalty keeper though. Well, when it's right in the net, like right behind the net. Then, yeah, maybe. I mean, Zach, I think that's his top off, and that's enough to distract anyone. That's more for me. That's more of a basketball thing that when people are behind. Behind the free throw attempt. Oh, yes. So, 1-1. Whitecaps right back in it. And then, for the next few minutes, and I tweeted the kiss of death, I genuinely felt KC were... They looked a little bit out of sorts. They were overhitting their passes. They didn't seem to have the same kind of sharpness. The Whitecaps had a spring in their step. And I didn't want the half to end. But then... (laughs) That was the curse right there. Yeah. (laughs) They, they'd said it was two minutes of time added on, and Casey scored in three minutes. So the referee didn't want to have to end either, and it cost the Whitecaps dear. <laughs> Before we get to that, though, Casey had wanted a penalty, and it was never a penalty. It was a good tackle, no. I, I feel, by, by Jake. And obviously, they were trying to get the crowd involved, but I was initially worried because they were so adamant that it was a penalty. But then when I saw the replay, I was like, no, Jake did well there. He... It's one of those things you have to time that to perfection or that is a penalty. Jake did really well. You're right. Bruno Gaspar's tackle for the free kick was horrible. Yes. Like that was really, really poor. It was defense. not a good first half for Bruno Gaspar. No. So from the free kick, Casey win a corner. Johnny Russell sent in the free kick, sent in the corner, and 
Nicholas Izimat Marine gets his first goal for KC, but there's a lot to kind of unpack from this goal. First of all, it was a great ball in from Johnny Russell, which you would expect. Max comes out to punch it and doesn't get a good fist uh, on it. Max was not protected by his back line there. Yeah. He was no, I was going to say that as well. He was, he was blocked. Yeah, he was blocked Steve. right before even the corner came in. There was a player right in front of him. And that should, there should have been a player on that player pushing him away. Steve, they were so busy zonal marking. How can you expect them to protect their Jesus keeper? Jesus Christ, it's so stupid, man. I, I don't understand that. And people who are blaming Max Kripo for that are need to have their heads checked, honestly. Whether you're German or not. I don't care. You need <laughs> no, to have your heads checked. <laughs> you, and that's not a reference to me. Thank no, it's not a reference to you. <laughs> but no, I mean, he, I, I think he does need to do better, but you're right. You rarely see, I mean, not rarely. I mean, you'd like to see if you're a defending team not having uh, one of the uh, big attackers on the opposing team alone with your keeper in front of in front of goal like that. Yeah, because right. Really, I mean, let, let's really let's be like totally up front. It was great play by KC to like yeah. put themselves in front of Max and cause him to not be able to get a, a decent punch on it, and that he was stopped coming out. But then as the ball comes in. Christian Dahomey misses a header. Brian White goes up and doesn't connect. And then it just runs through. And then Issy Matt Marine's just there to poke it home. And it seemed to go, when you, when I was watching it in real time, it just seemed to go so slow. Because I was like, yeah. oh, this is going to get put away. And it's like, no, yeah. Uh, uh, uh. Yeah. They're, 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 and you got Youngworth also kind of ball watching in there. So that wasn't good as well. Yeah. Um, a little bit. Um, so it's just like not, not, not enough like oomph in that covering I, of that. And I think I, that's what zonal marking does. It, it basically numbs you to the physicality of I, a protect, uh, doing a corner. I still think Depending White got ahead to it there. I still, I think you got. If he off. did, if he did, it was maybe like four or five inches at the top of his hair. It wasn't enough to. Uh, but I think it directed it further. I think it was going more. Oh, you on, think so? Yeah, it directed ah. it a little bit. There's no good time to. To concede in a game, obviously, but right before half time, it it was just a killer blow. You'd worked so hard to get into it, and you felt there was maybe a slight momentum shift. Sadly, it wasn't. It, it was two one then to KC at half time. Now, Florian Jungwert, been excellent on the whole since he's come in from San Jose. He had been given a pretty torrid time out there in that first half. But he wasn't alone because the whole back line and the full backs, stroke wing backs, weren't having a great time with it out there either. Even with that, it was a big surprise for me when he got pulled off at half time and Eric Godoy came in. When you're but looking Michael, at other he, things so, to do. My- Michael, he's so valuable on the bench, though, cheering his teammates on. Oh, yes. I think that's- that's the main reason why you sub them off there. <laughs> For anyone that doesn't know what we're talking about, that was something that was mentioned during the, the game. I'd rather have Florian in the back line. I mean, it, it was a weird one for me, Steve. I, I know Vanny likes that three in the back. If you're going to bring Godoy on, I would maybe have taken Godinho off and then put Jake yeah. in his position. Yeah, or, or or even even Godoy at uh, well, I guess his wing back, so maybe that's not so good. But yeah, but they they don't really don't fancy Jake as a as a fullback or a wingback. No, so. but if you're going to bring Godoy in at half time as well, he should be starting. 
Yeah, and like I mean, Vanny's and, and, put his hands and, up and said that's on him. He should have started and, him. So he admits and, that. At, at halftime, Sartini did mention the reason why he made that substitution is because he felt he needed a, another playmaker out of the back line, um, and which Eric felt, is good he, at. Yeah, and he felt like SKC was not pressuring him as much up the pitch, so he had that ability to put an extra player there, and that's the reason he, he gave the reasoning at halftime why he made the sub. But yep. like we like we talked before. If he, if he was good enough to be on the bench, he should have started. He was like him, Godoy, Youngworth, and Jake, I think is a better back three. Because then you got Youngworth who could play in that Andy Rose position and be that middle. And, and you have the other people on the wide. So, yeah, it doesn't make sense to me at all. Yeah, good on Vanny for being upfront about that, the way he was at, at both at halftime and after the game. But, yeah, it was, it, was, it was awkward. But, Michael, you always like to see someone get pulled off at halftime. So you must have been... Someone happy. I, I was torn because yeah. I, I just, it was baffling to me. I, I was on the, the CPL post game call at the time and then it just kind of came up on the screen and I was like, oh, good, good always coming on. I was like, what? For you work? Yeah. But I mean, it, it worked out on the whole because as I said, the Whitecaps kept KC in that second half up until the 85th, 86th minute to just one shot. And what a shot it was in the 58th minute. Graham Zussi, spectacular strike. Horrible closing down, though, from Bruno Gaspar, who, I mean, you said for the the first goal, Steve, that you maybe didn't think that Zussi was going to deliver that cross in. I don't think Gaspar thought that Zussi was going to unleash a shot like that either. No, uh, I said it to you guys in our, t- our, our, our chat as we were chatting throughout the game. You could tell there was a lack of knowledge, a lack of understanding from Gaspar as to the qualities of Graham Zuzi. So whether that's he just doesn't know him, doesn't know Kansas City well, they didn't prepare him well enough for him, you know, not having been here for only being only being in the league for a few months. But like we've seen Graham Zuzi score goals like that before and, sh- and definitely shoot from there before because he used to be a more attacking, you know, midfielder, winger, you know, creative, uh, even a little bit goal scoring player. But uh, yeah, he just, just, I don't, I truly believe Bruno's like, oh, this guy's not going to shoot. And then he's like, oh, he's shooting. And it's like, it's too late. It was a fantastic strike, Steve. Yeah, you can't, you don't expect it, but you still have to respect it. But take that a goal away. Personally, for me, my prediction was right, by the way. Uh, but uh, <laughs> take, both, take two goals away and get, get Kafa's one allowed at the end. And that, my prediction was right. So. <laughs> We were looking at that, that like way. Ultra, ultra clean sheet. Yeah, if the queen had balls, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, Steve, you're trying to take away from my right prediction? No, 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 I'm just kidding. But the most devastating part of this part of the game was the fact that I was trying to use reverse psychology, and, and Zach like called me out on it, which basically negated the whole thing. <laughs> I was doing it. Uh, but yeah, it was a great strike, great strike by Zussi, well yeah. deserved. Uh, it's it's good to have like somebody who's been there for a while get something for that home team and be able to be celebrated, but. Definitely devastating for the Whitecaps. That was yeah, basically I felt like they the were toast. Yeah, but at that point, I thought that's it. That they're done, and I I know they can fight back, and it was all going to be if they got a second goal. When did they get it, and was there enough time then to to try and launch an attack to get a third? And maybe that pivotal moment was that Rose header in the sixty second minute. It was a weak header. If he'd got a bit more power anywhere but straight Amelia it's 3-2 a half an hour to play and then it really is game on I mean the Whitecaps went for it after that in terms of substitutions Caicedo came on 
but we'll talk about some of the players in, in the next part. I mean, White had had a really quiet game up to that point, but he had a, a header off a, a Gashbar cross in the 69th minute. The nice. Melia, fantastic save. Yeah. And again, that's the like the fine lines. The, nice save. Yeah. Nice save in the 69th minute. Yeah, nice. White had another header four minutes later. Brown and Cava then came on and there, there was huffs but not a lot of puffs. And the Whitecaps didn't really didn't really look like they were going to get that second goal. And then from nowhere, it looks like they got it with four minutes to go when Gashbar receives the ball, turns out he's in an offside position, plays it in, and Kava puts it in the back of the net. It's like, hey, Kava's back, scoring. But the flag went up, and I let out a shout of, no! which I think woke my wife up who was having a nap upstairs, but that was as close as the Whitecaps came. And I, like really, Casey comfortably saw the game out and at the end of the day, they were just a better team all round and they had just more quality and more clinical finishes and they were fully full value for that 3-1 win. Yeah, the Gaspar one was like, it was just, a, it, was, it was his lean. If he was straight up and down, I think he would have been onside because his legs were definitely onside. It was just a lean over. And I think that's what got him offside. But yeah, there was there was no the 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 while Kansas City was defending, it didn't look like they were under any stress during that defense of their box. And that was probably that's probably the sign that you know you you're not putting that much pressure on. You are like they were attempting, and they were at least at this point they were like typically Vancouver when they were down two goals, they would even be able to get the hold of the ball or possession of the ball. At least they got possession. You created some chances, but they just weren't as many as you'd hope for. Yeah, the, the leaning part, when you guys were talking about the leaning part on the offside, I was just like, I know you guys hate this, but because when I first saw it, when I first saw the replay happen uh, where they're looking at the offside, I thought, oh, they maybe they will bring this back because this is MLS. But uh, the way they call it in the Bundesliga, the way he was leaning, they would have gone from his armpit down. Yeah. yeah. Definitely would have been offside. No, I, I I have no problem with the leaning part is being offside when it's that clear. It's that was yeah, obvious. That, that was that, that was, was very 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 obvious. But it's when you're looking for like a pinky or something like that, or yeah. like a little toe, or that, that just to me that's that's not reasonable to be like uh, like it, there there should be a little bit of leeway here and there in games. But well done, AKC. Fully deserved their, their spot in the conference semi-finals where they will now play the winner of the RSL and Seattle game that takes place in Seattle on Tuesday night. For the Whitecaps, it's a time to now regroup and plan for next season. But we've got a bit more to talk about from the game and some of the players as well. And we will be back chatting about all of that after this. Hi, I'm Vanni Sartini, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Dreams can be so cruel sometimes I swear
Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's a song from 2018 from former Artists of the Month here at AFTN, Idols, from their second album, Joy as an Act of Resistance. That's a song called June. Keeping the mood light here on the AFTN Soccer Show this week after the, the Whitecaps crashed out of the playoffs. Before we chat a little bit more about some of the players in the game and some of the stuff that's come out post-game, let's just hear a little bit of the post-game audio from head coach Vanni Sartini. Here's the gaffer. Hey, Vanny, uh, obviously not the result that you wanted, <laughs> but uh, I don't think there's anything to, to hang your, hat or your heads about. Uh, what did you think of your team's effort tonight? Well, the effort was really good. Uh, we probably, with the first 10, 15 minutes, we, we had to adjust, uh, you know, a little bit of a ner- nervousness, a little bit of uh, the environment that we're pushing them. But then we, we entered in the field, uh, uh, I would say, really well. We considered a goal on a transition, actually a really good goal, really good transition, but we were attacking when we considered the goal. And then we keep pushing, we keep attacked, and uh, I would say we deserved the one-one. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, the 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 two-one has been something we could have done better, but it's okay. And in the second half, we did uh, we did very well. We did very well. We had four chances to score. The one with Andy, the one with uh, with uh, Brian, great save by Emilia, another cross by Dyberg went out for for just a millimeter. So. Uh, yeah, it's okay. We knew that they are a good team, and uh, they probably they're more used to this kind of uh, of game. And uh, we're a little bit disappointed for the result, but I think that uh, we put everything in it, and we can't. We, we don't have any regret, to be honest. It looked like in the first half, especially, it was really hard to get Ryan involved in the game. He seemed to be, you know, targeted and and taken out. Uh, Brian White didn't get a shot until I think the 86th minute or the 69th yeah. minute. Sorry, uh, yeah. what were your thoughts on offensively, like the the problems you had early on? Well, what they did is they did something that they don't do with other team. They dropped a lot of team and they 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 play with very low defense there. So the the, the spacing was much more in front of the line than than behind the line. So we had to. Uh, we had to go with the ball with with our defenders, and uh, um, we we weren't very good at that. To be honest, that's the thing. The only thing in the first half that I didn't, that I didn't like, Flo especially and Jake, uh, they didn't they, they 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 weren't going as soon as as soon as they started. We 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 started creating a little space with the, some diagonal ball on the wing back or the ball over the line. Uh, so we 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 had the first 20 25 minutes at least i agree with you where it was really hard to to involve uh, the our attacking players just looking at how the the game played out kc they seemed to to look like the kc that we saw earlier in the season i, I spoke to you about this midweek but do you feel that that break that we've had killed your momentum a little bit and gave them the chance to kind of regroup and and find the KC that we saw a few months ago? Well, probably. they. Of course, uh, when you lose games like uh, they were doing in the last three games, and uh, if you have chance chance to reflect and train 
uh, and, assess, and address something, uh, it's going to, let's say, improve the situation. I think I think they, they had a good game uh, and they had a good team. So it's uh, 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 probably it helped them. It helped them a, bit, a little. The gaffer, Vanny Sartini there. Just some of his post-game thoughts after the Whitecaps 3-1 loss in KC. I'll throw this out to you now, because I'm saying he's the gaffer. Do you fully expect him to be the gaffer next year, Zach? The rumours were that he's been offered a deal. He said at training this week he hasn't been offered a deal and hasn't signed anything. Do you fully expect him to be Whitecaps head coach come pre-season in January? Uh, I expect him to be, but I don't, I, I like, I, I think he's done, done well in this, this short period of time, but I think this was like, uh, his, the situation he came into was sort of like, I guess, sort of like playing with house money. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like if he bad, he would, it wouldn't have mattered that much. Uh, if he did great, it's great, you know? And so, um, I, I think he, I think he will be brought back, but I don't know that that's the best decision for the long term of, of of the organization, I think that uh, I think that they need to bring in a different type of, of personality and a different type of uh, a different type of coach. But everyone's uh, loved but him. The, the, not just the players and the fans, but like American media are like loving him. Yeah. So but if you're gonna if if you're gonna hire a coach because he drops an f bomb here and there or he says stuff like that, then you're hiring him for the wrong reasons. That's honestly. why I would hire a coach. But so but, um, yeah, you're I essentially go ahead, think, go ahead, Zach. Like Steve said, I think they're hiring him because of the feel good factor. I think they they know he's popular with the the fans, and so I I think it's really a short sighted. Again, he might come back and, and do great, but I yeah. think. I think True. I think I think for them for them to say this twenty-two match run, which he wasn't even in control of the whole thing, but this twenty-two match one is replicable in twenty twenty-two. I think is uh, I think is a little bit pie in the sky. <laughs> but and the other just... and the and the other thing you have to look at too is uh, you have to look at the personnel. Um, and we, we're going to obviously break this down a little bit further next week when we talk the you know year in review. Two of your players you brought in over the last couple of years that are, uh, you know, you're expecting attacking play from are not uh, players that would be comfortable in Sartini's system. And that's Diber Casido and Christian Dahomey. So if you're going to, if you're, if you're playing on keeping those players, then, uh, then you need to bring in a different setup. If you're not, if you want Sartini, you need to look at moving those players on. They're I not, disagree they're not... a bit with Caicedo. He's looked okay Where? when he's come off the bench. And I think him and, bench, Dahomey, but him and Dahomey off... could also be interchangeable. Yeah, but off the bench, he should be starting. No, I, I, think, just... I think there's a place for him in Sartini. No, not he, in he a starting the... position. Yeah, well, this is to clarify. Steve, what I, what I believe you're saying is by system, is you're saying he doesn't play with wingers and yeah. by forward oh, yeah. attacking those are the positions that ideally those two players like to play in. And Michael, exactly. to your, to what you're saying, or you know, to counter that is, is it really great that you're leading assists 
You, the person who sets up the most goals on your team in a season is relegated to the bench because of the system. I don't know. Yeah. That's, that's more. So that, that's that's the that's the biggest thing for me. Is I think we it, all it agree all, on Cavallini. <laughs> yeah, he, he doesn't. He never fit in MDS's system, and he doesn't fit in no. Sartini's system. It, it, but, it's but, like, but, oh, let's just sign a big Canadian international. We obviously can't get Jonathan David, Kyle Lahren, or Alfonso Davies, so let's get Lucas Cavallini. But Cavallini, the problem with Cavallini is not that he's so much a, a square peg in a round hole. It's more his approach and his mentality and his unwillingness to actually do what his coaches have asked him to do. That's his problem. I think he could fit in MDS and or Vanny Sartini with what they want, what they want to do. It's I don't think he's been committed enough to actually do that. And I might I, be wrong, but that's how I see things. I said this before, and some TFC fans to kind of umbrage with this. I, I think he fits into TFC system. Like, honestly, I think you could kind of move out well, out the door. I'm not talking again about us signing out the door. That was kind of... A yeah. little bit tongue in cheek, but I think he could slot in to the system at TFC and well, still be a very serviceable the, player. The fa- yeah, the fact is, is uh, Cavallini is like uh, like similar to style of play of Altador. So yeah, it would fit in if they like Altador still, mm-hmm. and Altador fits in the system, then he would fit the, in the same. The question you have to ask is: Do do Michael and Bob Bradley want him there? I mean, no, I, I I do. Yeah. Oh, different Michael. Two things on Cava quickly. One, the the goal, although it was offside, where was he when he finished it? Inside the six-yard box where MDS had wanted him to be. And secondly, if this is him leaving the Whitecaps, maybe even leaving MLS, he's left out. He's left it as you'd probably expect. He picked up a yellow card. Uh, For a little bit of petulance. Yeah, a stupid yellow card. Like... And yeah. I don't think there was that much. And he just threw a ball. Because the commentator said he's threw, thrown a ball. And I thought he'd thrown it at the guy's face. He just no, tossed no. him the ball. No, no, there's not that much in it. But you know you're going to get booked for that. Right? Like, and if, and if I, I don't know. It's just, it's I, I, for me, that's not a booking. No, but he threw the ball at the guy to try and knock the other ball out of his hand. To, you know, like, which, which also is counterproductive. Yeah, to the team. Well, yeah, chasing yeah. two goals. Yeah, it, deep it in the just, game. It was just, it was not smart. The, the other player, the, I I think you have to have a conversation about is Eric Godoy. Mm-hmm. Now, I like Eric Godoy. I think he's probably our best defender on his day. I think he's better than Flo. He offers more. He is a, a, a playmaking centre-back. He's great at the feet. He made an impact when he came on. You can't guarantee the health of a player. But if he's healthy next year, keep him 100%. He's my starter beside Flo. Two of the back three, if you're going three at the back, that's who you want. But if there's any doubts that he can stay healthy, you have to ship him out. Because you can't have such an influential player, such a key player, a high-value player that you've paid money for and he's on a high wage, missing so many important games over the course of a season. And it's a quandary for them. And he's got that aggression, that edge that I like in a centre-back. And you saw his little niggles towards the end of the game today. I don't mind that. Which is maybe being a bit hy- hypocritical because I'm saying for Kava, I I don't like that. But I think Godoy gets away with it a bit more because just of, that's what you expect from a big bustling centre-back. 
what what do you, what do you feel, Steve, about Godoy? I, obviously, we'll do our keep and releasing stuff next week, but he's the he's the one that's got the big question mark over him. I feel. Yeah, it, it's all about health for him. If he's healthy, hundred percent, like you're right, he, he's definitely worth keeping. Uh, but if he's not, if you're not confident, and you can find somebody who's similar who has a better um, history of of staying on the pitch, then you bring him in. Uh, I personally think that they need to bring in uh, four to five dependable starting center backs potentially. Uh, they don't all have to be superstars, but they need that in because it seems like that position for them, they're always seem to running into injuries. So they need enough depth that three, they have th- at least three people that are capable of starting. It is very interesting that for several seasons, I'd like to maybe, that's something we could maybe work on, have a look at that. In our 11 seasons, it does feel that that is the position that we get hit so hard for like Jay Demerit, Andy O'Brien, um, Kendall was out for a little bit as well, and there's it does seem too. a position. Yeah, I mean, uh, there, there's a few others, and like Godoy seems to be really struggling for Martin whatever Bozur. reason. It's yeah, I, I think, it's definitely I think a position Box, we need to strengthen. I think Boxall was hurt a lot. Christian's well, Boxall Boxall ended up starting because of injuries as well, though, in that yeah. first season because Demerit went down. Yeah, he did. He did, he was injured a bit too when he was here during his time. But yeah, Dean Dean is another one that stands out of like oh, oh yeah. Is Christian Dean a center though. back or a left back? I can't remember. Well, he, 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 he could center. do both, but he was oh, yeah. primarily a center back. And probably and the healthiest guy about Christian. And then probably the healthiest guy this year that was center back, they decided not to send to Greece. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, you bumped into to him and Daniel uh, in Edmonton. Did either of them sign that they would love to come back to Vancouver? I, I didn't I didn't get to talk to DC. Um, but I did get to talk to Daniel, <laughs> Daniel who, had, who had some interesting things to say. Um, well, of course, no, Dan- I didn't Daniel get also had some injuries from like punching walls and various things, but... But but Daniel Henry wouldn't. I don't think he would fit in this system either because he's not a ball playing. He's a physical no. center back, so he's not a ball playing center back. So I don't think he, I think Cornelius could definitely fit. In. Yeah. See, for me, Godoy's your your perfect guy because he's physical, but he can also play with the ball at his feet. He's yeah. good in the air. He's got a shot on him as well. He's like the complete package, and I I so want him to succeed. I I like the guy so much. I genuinely feel. He could be a star in this league, yeah. but he like, has like, to be healthy. Just finishing off a little bit about Vanny, I just want to give my thoughts on it, because I was asked about this as well on the, the post-game show on AM730, and I said, maybe a bit harshly, yeah, going into this, I thought, definitely give Vanny the job, but after some of his decisions today, I've got a little bit of doubt. And I think that's just the disappointment of the, the defeat talking. I do think Vanny has deserves a chance to take this team next year I'd give him a one year contract and then take it from there he's he's got something about him that just raises everyone about him and yeah you can talk about is that sustainable or whatever but I I also feel you can't underestimate or undervalue that if you've got spark that can lift players and make average players a lot better than they are and have everyone buying into to what you're doing that goes a long way in the game 
the thing is, is you don't even have to assign him to a contract because he already has a contract. You just have to bump his contract or alter his. You yeah. Should, you, you should definitely bump his contract up pay wise and then just alter it. You don't need to sign him to like a three year deal or anything like that. I don't think. Well, but that's the thing though. Once you start um, altering those things, then like you have to agree to terms with him on all those other details, right? Yeah. Because so, officially true. he's director of methodology and under 23 head coach. Now, it's easy to find another under-23 head coach that you can do that no problem, whether you, you bring Dazzle back up to there or Rich Fagan or even, say, Ricardo Clark, Andy Rose, give them a chance to cut their teeth with the under-23 side or, or whatever. The director of methodology bit, it's how important that is in the grand scheme of things and would they need to replace him if he was head coach next year in that role or... Could they kind of just have other folk filling in for that? I, I don't know. These are discussions to have a, a, another day. J- just to leave our Whitecaps chat for for this bit, how do you look back at the season? And we'll, we'll take a deep dive into it in next week's show. But Steve, how are you feeling just a, about the season? There's been ups, there's been downs, there's been heartbreak, there's been, there's been some great stories they, they've had the hardship of playing until the end of July outside of Canada altogether and then coming back and going on this run do you feel positive about the future um I do in a way um uh, for some other reasons that we can discuss another day but um a lot of it has to do with uh, um finding something that we've been searching for for so many years and that is a number 10. Um, I know we didn't talk about Ryan Gold too much today, uh, but finding that number 10 can link everything together. And then they're going to bring in, bring, they're going to have players coming back next year that they weren't even available, that they had signed, like Kyle Alexander um, and some other players like that, that they're bringing back. It's just a matter of figuring out quickly is Sartini the guy? I know he's been saying behind the scenes that he's going to be back uh, for the last couple of weeks, but. Um, if he's definitely back, they need to find the right fit. And they just can't they can't go into next season with half a game plan. They need a full game plan and have an idea of what they want to do next year. And then I full feel uh, more confident. But um, oh, this past year, difficult, obviously, to start off when you're not playing at home. You're not even allowed to come back home. And um, uh, luckily for them, they were able to come because that kind of what turned around the whole season, honestly. Uh, being able to have the players being in their own homes, being able to play out of Vancouver, even if the travel was got worse, that was that was that, I think yeah. that's the biggest difference this year. Because because we we talked when they came home, I said they almost need to win out at home to to make the playoffs, and they they did superbly in that regard. Yeah, for sure. How, how are you feeling about going into next season, now, Zach? Do you have positivity? How do you look back just briefly at, at this year? Uh, Steve brings up some really great points in terms of there's some big decisions that need to be made. But one of the things that's always been a problem for the Vancouver Whitecaps in the MLS era is, which was different than before the MLS era. Before the MLS era, it was, we're going to win titles. We're going to do all we can to win titles. And yeah, they were bigger fish in smaller smaller ponds that they were hanging out in before. And now they're not so much that way. But I think one of the things they have to internally be honest with themselves about what they, they want to do because well van, van said post game because I, I again you wouldn't have heard right. this but 
He said, okay, we made the first round of the playoffs this year. Next year, the minimum has to be the second round. Which would be, which would be, I think in Axel's language, another step or whatever in the journey. But yeah, I guess that that would be, I guess that would be good enough. But you, it would be different, I guess, if they did make that step. If they did get to the second round of the playoffs, that probably would be a little bit different. It it just, this year is both good and, and, difficult i think because you end the year with the, you end the regular season with this big celebration like we did something but did yeah. you really do something right you 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 know i mean you you came what a six out of whatever teams and got the second last spot in the playoffs and you know and not to, and not to take away from that because obviously yes they had all these issues and they had all these things working against them and their season was a lot more difficult than all of their other opponents in the Western Conference from a logistical and practical, uh, you know, standpoint. But so it's a, it's a moral victory in that sense for sure. But I I I, I don't think you can go to. I don't think your approach can be. Sorry, uh, the, the the short of this, Michael, is I don't. I I no longer think their approach can simply be. We hope we make the playoffs and then we roll the dice. I, I think they need to move on from that approach, and I think they, like Vanny said, they slowly are. For me, I do feel that that they've done something and they've achieved something. And I know it's the playoffs and it's one and done. And we spoke about the previous playoff appearances in the last show. Yeah, there's disappointment just now, I think, because, as I said, I got swept up in the wave of what this team could do just by how they finished the season, etc., etc. But I don't have that, that feeling that I had in 2015 and 2017 that they went out there and they played a crap and they didn't play the way that they should have played and they went out the playoffs because they didn't do that. I don't think you can fault their effort tonight. They just weren't the better team. Maybe some of the team selections, yeah. But I, I do feel that they put in a good performance and a good display and they were in this game for, for so much of the game. And I didn't feel that against Portland. I didn't feel that uh, against Seattle. So I take that as a positive. There's so much to build on. And it doesn't feel like it needs to be a major, major off-season rebuild, but we do need to strengthen this team. The makings of this team are great. Ryan Gold is a difference maker. He was quiet tonight. He didn't have a great game. Brian White, can he sustain that scoring that he had this year? Probably, unlikely, maybe at that level, but you don't know. And as Steve said, I think it was Steve... In the midweek show, if he gets 12 goals over the season, you're happy with that. And, like, Gold, you can't just rely on him to be the difference maker every single game. Because, like, today, KC shut him down pretty well. And he he struggled to to get much going. And without his crosses and delivery, White then struggled, if he was a result. So you need to strengthen things there. But I think there's a lot more optimism and a lot more positiveness surrounding this team and it's felt that there's been for ages and even to make the playoffs with how they started this year and everything that they went through and a coaching change I I think you put this down as a success a little bit disappointing at the end but when everyone looks back at it they'll be like you know what they they took us along on a very good ride this year one final thing just to say some post game stuff so after that last game against Seattle Vanny very defiantly said, we're going to go to KC, we're going to to win against KC. And we joked, oh, that's going to get pinned up on the bulletin board like it did in Houston. And it seemed to 
have actually done that because, Steve, you you were following along some of the post-game comments. Peter Vermees made some comments about it. Kyrie Shelton made some comments about it. Yeah, but the uh, Peter Vermees actually made it to the Sporting Kansas City, you know, with their post game show or whatever on the pitch, and they they he mentioned that they uh, he felt the co- players took the comments very early on very personally uh, from the last week. He never really did, uh, went too deep into it, but because he started talking about how they were disciplined, they fought for everything, uh, moved on really quickly from them. But he did mention that, and then Kyrie Shelton, I think t- you saw a tweet where he mentioned something about about the comments that. Uh, Brandy Sardini made. Yeah, Harold R. Kuntz uh, tweeted out from well, Kyrie friends, Shelton. I believe his friends call him Harry. So ha- Harry Kuntz tweeted out, uh, that was disrespectful. I took it personal. It's crazy a coach would say that. But Vanny, Vanny feels like, I, I have no problem with someone saying that. You've got to have confidence in your team. Well, he, did you see the message he did? J.J. Uh, Adams tweeted it out. I'll, yeah. I'll read it out to you. I'd say it again because we were so excited and that excitement brought us something that was inconceivable. So if you don't think that you're able to do something enormous, don't even start. But I would say that a million times again. And you know what? I don't have a problem with a coach saying that. And, and, but I don't also I don't have a problem with a player on the opposing team using that as motivation. Of course, I don't feel like a player should take it personally. Like if, if you're going into like, say if you're going into war, are you expect? Are you going to take it personally that the opposing, um, you know, army is going to say we're going to win this war? No, it's it's that's what you're there for. What what is he supposed to say? It's, it's like I, it, it baffles my mind that people talk get so offended over this stuff. But I think the difference is though, Steve. Everyone expects a coach to say that to his players, but it's when you say it publicly that's where I oh, think okay. the disrespect he'd be from. knocking so, the champagne back. I I. I don't know. I mean, I, I, if that's what Casey needed to motivate them, then they need to have a serious talk about what motivates them. I don't think they needed it to vulnerable them, Michael, but you can't... It feels like they did. You can't doubt that it, it added to their motivation. Well, you Ali Trost also tweeted out, I was watching that clip before we went out, Vanny Sartini saying they'd beat KC on decision day. We're a confident team, but we are humble. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, ch- check out the timelines. Ali Trost, uh, our journalists tweet some stuff out. Harold Kuntz. I mean, he's he's not the the only Kuntz from Kansas, obviously. Hashtag Larson out. But that's maybe for uh, another day. So sport in Kansas City is the team that's moving on. They will now play the winner of Seattle Sounders and Real Salt Lake. They battle it out on Tuesday night. If the Sounders win, they'll be hosting KC. If RSL win, they'll be travelling to KC. And that conference semi-final will take place on Sunday the 28th of November with a 12 noon kick-off. And whoever wins between the Sounders and RSL is going to be heading into that one with three days less rest than SKC. The other Western Conference semi-final is all set though and it is going to take place on Thanksgiving afternoon Little bit of a strange decision. The first MLS game, I believe, to be played on Thanksgiving. And Western Conference champions, or regular season champions, the Colorado Rapids, will be playing host to the Portland Timbers. Portland came through a very hard-fought game with Minnesota United down at Piggy Park on Sunday afternoon. And it was the visitors who took the lead in this one in the 11th minute. Franco Frajapani from just outside the box, 
Nice finish from the Minnesota man, and that wasn't to be his last big talking point from this match. Portland really took the game to Minnesota after this one. Minnesota were really, really struggling to kind of hold on to possession and just keep the ball and try and take some of the pressure off the defence. So it was no surprise really when the Timbers tied things up two minutes before half-time. Lara's Mabiala out-jumped a number of Minnesota players to head past Dane St. Clair, who got his first start and goal for Minnesota since May 8th. And it has to be said, the Canadian keeper probably should have done a lot better on that effort. Not to say he was going to keep Mabiala's header out, but I think he could have done better with his attempt to get to it. And after that, you kind of fancied Portland to go on to win this one, and they did. Sebastian Blanco fired him ahead two minutes into the second half, hitting a lovely strike into the back of the net. And he grabbed his second of the game and Portland's third in the 66th minute with an even better finish. With a curver of a shot, the hit of the right post, into the net. Again, I kind of feel Sinclair could maybe have done a little bit better on it. But that was 3-1 to Portland. And there was no looking back for them after this one. They, they got through pretty much untroubled. But there was still time for a little bit of controversy, a big talking point in the closing minutes. Frajapani, horrible tackle, jumping off the ground, going in two-footed on Portland midfielder Diego Chara, absolutely shocking challenge, he got a booking for it, and I mean, it looked bad in real time, and when you saw the replay, you're like, well, VAR's going to call the referee over to look at this, but no, he did not. And I'm pretty sure it will be addressed later on by the disciplinary committee, but I mean, for me, that is a red card every day of the week. I, I like a hefty challenge. I, I like tough tackles, but that was a clear red card. So Frajapani dodged a bullet there. And of course, there's history between these two players because back when these two teams met in June, Diego Chara alleged that Frajapani had made a racial slur towards him in that game. So... Yeah, MLS found insufficient evidence in that one, but just just interesting that there was another big flashpoint and incident between those two, led to both squads coming together, a couple of cards issued, and just a very unsavoury end to, to what had been an entertaining match up to that point. But then Timbers now travel to Colorado on Thursday. That should be an absolute cracker. So that's the Western Conference semi-finals. Just to give you a little bit of update on what happened in the East. Philadelphia Union left it as late as late could be. Three minutes into stoppage time of extra time. With the match looking all set to, to go to penalties. Jacob Glessness a fantastic shot from the edge of the box to win this one giving Philadelphia a 1-0 win over New York Red Bulls on Saturday afternoon. But it was better news for the other New York side. New York City FC ended Atlanta United's season with a 2-0 win at Yankee Stadium in the Bronx on Sunday afternoon. Both goals coming in the second half of this one. Valentin Castellanos gave New York City the lead in the 49th minute with a, a shot that he hit off the deck and it just looped over everyone into the back of the net. Serious questions as to why Brad Guzan just stood watching it and that there was no reaction at all from the Atlanta defence. 
And it was more def- poor defensive play four minutes later that allowed Alexander Callens to, to get the second, given NYC the 2-0 victory. If you're an Atlanta United fan, you watch that back and you're like, what was our defence doing in that one? Nashville will play Orlando on Tuesday evening, 5 o'clock Pacific kickoff in the final Eastern Conference first round matchup. Whoever wins between Nashville and Orlando will face the Philadelphia Union next Sunday afternoon, with the Supporters Shield winning New England Revolution hosting NYCFC next Tuesday, and that is how the conference semi-finals are lined up. Who you got in each conference? Let us know if you want on Twitter at AFTN Canada. For the Whitecaps though, that is their season done. It means we can start our end of season analysis and some of our favourite shows that we do in the year are the shows that we do in the off season. So, But that is it for the Whitecaps and MLS chat for this show. We're going to be turning our attention to some more playoffs next, this time in the Canadian Premier League. But there was a lot better news for the other BC team that's battling it out in post-season action. And we'll be back with all of that after this. Hey, it's Marco Bustos. You're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's our Artist of the Month here at AFTN for November from Jersey City, New Jersey, xylophone punk band Crazy in the Brains with a song from their 2018 album, Out in the Weeds, and that was a song I've picked because it's Thanksgiving in the US this coming week. That was Candy Yams. Who doesn't love some Candy Yams around about Thanksgiving time? So, we've been a bit doom and gloom, talking about the Whitecaps season finishing in the first couple of parts. Let's raise the mood now with a success story for BC Soccer, because Pamadou Ka's Purple Army are heading to the Canadian Premier League Championship game. The North Star Shield is on the line and Pacific FC are going to be contesting it for the first time. Fantastic result for Pacific this afternoon. It took them extra time to do it. 
got through over Cavalry 2-1 in the end. I mean, you knew this was going to be a close game, Zach, and it certainly proved to be. I don't, don't know how much of it you got to see. I was glued to it. I was loving it. Going into extra time, clashing with the Whitecaps game, had my two screens going, but great stuff from Pamadou side. It was another engaging CPL match, um, which is which is great for the league. Um, again, for people from here, there's all the for people from the, who've been following football in the Lower Mainland. There's all these heartstrings that are pulling for players on both sides. On both sides oh, I know, because like in um, Cavalry, you've got Marco Carducci, you've got Fisky, you've got some of the other guys as well that that we've grown to to know over the years. And but yeah. Pacific SRBC yeah, team, got to be got to be rooting yeah. for them. If you're oh, red, you're dead. <laughs> well, their playoff hopes um, are certainly dead. Yeah, like I told you guys, uh, I could text you guys, I was always going to be gutted for someone in the Marco Derby between <laughs> Bustos and Carducci. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there was a really, the goals were, the, the goals for Pacific were very interesting. The first goal, Taryn Campbell, a really nice finish, did well to stay on side, and then a nice yeah. volley home. But uh, that, the, 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 the that but that first goal that you had the the great breakup I I think it was heard or something like that like a second chance yeah, yeah. he broke he, up the play and then and then got it out to Keaton Chung who he he broke a few things today plays yeah. ribs just, just yeah. whatever really I mean like Pacific came out strong for this because they hit the post through yeah. Tim Campbell fifty five seconds in but that was a nice finish to put them ahead in the thirty third minute from six yards out and you're like oh ho I, I don't want to say the shock was on because whoever won this I mean, it's pretty two evenly matched teams. Very even. yeah. I did think Cavalry yeah. had the slight upper hand, the home field advantage, and they yeah. were the form team. But this goes into, again, like what we're talking about with the Whitecaps and KC. Cavalry came into this in form, but didn't have a break. They they were playing on Tuesday, and they put out a, a weaker team because they, they had yeah. some of their big guys that were rested, their, their big four guys in particular were rested. But Pacific yeah, I, I, ended the season in poor form and they had two weeks to think about it, but they've regrouped and came out I, all guns firing. I, I would I, I would say Cavalry was a favorite by about four lengths, um, if you want to talk about in horse uh, <laughs> Very fitting for Spruce. Yeah, um, but uh, I, a great you know great first goal, like you said. They, then they gave up a goal. Yeah, right? it was two, two minutes in at the yeah. second half. Second Carifa half, yeah, Yow Tied it up. It was a nice header. Callum Irving couldn't get his hands to it because he was blocked. Jordan Haynes was in front of him. He just couldn't get up and it just nestled in the postage stamp corner. And I mean, that was two minutes after the restart. Tommy Bilden Jr. obviously had his team fired up. And for a big spell of that second half, Cavalry were on top. And it really did feel that they were going to get the goal in 90 minutes. And they didn't. The game went to extra time. And I thought penalties would be looming, to be be honest, but right in the stroke of half time, of extra time, yeah. controversy. Because there's no VAR yes. in the CPL. We, we've talked before that CONCACAF's a region that needs VAR. The CPL, last season and this season, has felt like a league that needs VAR. But at the same time, but I, I, I like the chaos. <laughs> Yeah, but I don't think it, I don't know how much of a difference VAR would have made because the play was too close to call. Even if you look at the replay, oh, you'd have to be, yeah, you'd have to be drawing lines and doing all your stuff, which I don't think no, they would be doing. No, but that, 
I think part of what comes with VAR, Steve, and part of what why there's a cost to it is you have to have cameras at certain angles. Yeah, kind of- yeah, exactly. Yeah, you would have had to. But it also like- has to be clear and obvious, and I'm not sure. No, it wasn't. That the angle would have given it clear and obvious without doing the lines and dissecting because, it and stuff. Because from a, a, an angle, one angle, it looks like the ball is right on the line from a different angle. And the thing is that the one where they show the replay of, it looks like it's going to be on line, but it's really up in the air. So it might not be over the line. It, 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 you don't know where the ball is situated. But from one angle, it looks like the ball is right on the line before he strikes it. The yeah. problem with that, and, and I don't like, you know, calling Carducci out on this, but he should not, he should have been uh, like playing it right through the whistle. He basically put up his hand before it was anywhere close to the line. Yeah. To, to me, tech, I, I agree with you. I feel, I feel horrible for, for Carducci on this. Cause I also technically to me, this should have been an own goal. No, right. Well, it's actually been given as a Carducci own goal now. Oh, the, okay. Yeah. When so I first they, saw they, it, it was Yeah. So they've changed it to that. Now for anyone that hasn't seen it, you can check my Twitter feed. I tweeted the goal out from one soccer. But basically the ball, the, the controversy is, did the ball cross the byline or not? And Kunle Dadaluki, great footwork to stay on that as well was fantastic. And the Cavalry players are appealing for it to go out. Marco Carducci, he wasn't set. And the ball came in and it just kind of hit off of the inside of his thigh and just went into the back of the net. And the Cavalry players were furious after the game, Mason Trafford was, like, devastated by it. And Tommy Bilden Jr. was picking his words very carefully. I think he didn't want a fine. But as far as they're concerned, that ball was out. We're well, never going to know unless there's a different camera angle or there's, they start pissing about with lines and stuff in some of the post-game but, stuff. But I understand that. Maybe they have to say that publicly in order to, you know, get the fans rallied on their side. But... Personally, they should take some personal responsibility not playing through the whistle. Essentially, if they play through the whistle, that ball should never go through the wickets at all. Even if, like say, if, say, say the shot never, because like I said, he put his hand up when it was a, a foot away from the byline in the first place, but before he even got to there. So yeah, you got to you got to play through the whistle because you never know what's going to happen. We already saw yeah. it with the Alfonso Davies goal that you have to play through the whistle. So this is another example that you have to do that no matter what. It was a, it was a very yeah. enjoyable game all round. I, I, there's a crunch and tackle from Josh Heard in the second half on Jose Escalante that, talking of VAR, that could easily have been given as a red card because it was reckless. The ball was away. And as Steve, you said, it's like he had time to go make a cup of tea yeah. bef- before he got clattered. And... It was a stupid challenge, and I think it was payback for stuff that had gone on earlier, but the benches kind of emptied, and then the benches got a little bit into it. And I loved a quote from Pamaduka post-game, where he said, Hey, if you want to come and play football, we'll play football. If you want to come and fight, we'll fight. Because apparently <laughs> there'd been some other stuff going on during the course of the game, so... It, it, you've got to check it out. The way it's a shocking challenge. They, they just tweeted out a, uh, the video, the YouTube uh, video for uh, the post game, and you can see Tommy Wielder's face, and you know it's not going to be a, a, a smooth post game. Yeah, I didn't ask Tommy anything because I, and- I didn't think it, it was like the White Cats post game scrum. They put up Rusty and Max Crippo. Neither of them wanted to talk, so it's like, mm-hmm. look, I'll, I'll save my questions for a time 
when they're going to be a little bit more talkative. I, I, I know it's part of the whole media circus. I just don't like putting players up. Managers I get, but putting players up after a heartbreaking loss like that, it's tough to get anything coherent and anything that's really going to be worthwhile out of it. Yeah, I, I I trust Steve as an expert of judging the facial expressions of a losing manager in a post post game press conference or scrum. To, no, he he, he, he it looks that. like it's the the picture itself looks like he somebody's about to like somebody just asked him a really stupid question and he's about to like go off on the guy. Yeah, there there were some stupid questions in that post game. Uh, conference. Let's let's just say that. Actually, let's play you a little bit of audio just now. So let's hear from a very jubilant Pamidou Car and a not so jubilant Tommy Bilden Jr. I think if you look at the game overall, um, the half, I think we were the better team. Where we had the best chances. Second half, they get an early goal, and then uh, and then. Um, and then the game is up in the air. You know, it's it's balanced out. There was there was there was nothing changes. I think going into extra time uh, because of uh, the way that we've trained, but also the character and the resilience of the group. Yeah, you can see in their eyes that they want to win this game. They're not they're not looking to go to penalties or anything. It's like we're going to win this game, and uh, and and they believe. And I always believe that if you believe in something, you're going to become that. And, and that's what we did. So for me as a coach, just to look at the players' eyes and see the hunger and the desire, you know, to come here and uh, win, that was, uh, that, was, that was amazing. So according to the game plan, we did what we needed to do, which is by the end of the day, is to win. Uh, given uh, the uh, goal early in the second half to make it 1-1, what did you see from your men to bounce back the way they did in, in, in fight and what was a hard-fought battle uh, going into extra time? Character and resilience. That's what they showed. And that's what they've been showing the whole year. That's why they deserve the victory. Right? And uh, I don't know what to say. For the first time, I'm speechless because of what they've done. They fought, they fought, they fought, they fought. And their character showed this is a very strong and resilient team. Question from Coach. Um, I think it was eight times you played them this year. This one goes extra time. Is that an accurate kind of example of how tight these, these two teams are? Okay, no. Honest to God, I think uh, this is what the CPL needs. They need uh, games like this. They need teams that rival each other like this. And for the whole year, we've battled against Calgary and it's always been a great battle. And, um, it had to come down to us uh, against them again, you know, and... Um, we came out victorious, but this is what the league need. And game of football is uh, is about the margins. And today the margins were on our side. So we're happy to go to the final, but also credit to Calgary uh, for their whole organization. It's a top-class organization, the way they work. And every time we play against them, it's a great rivalry. So we enjoy it. They enjoy it. On the, on the deciding goal, what did you see? Is that, and that, is that an example of you just keep playing until you hear a whistle? Oh, you know, for us, for us, uh, that's the mentality. You don't stop. You, you got to keep playing, playing, right? We have the referees and we say that we cannot control them. You know, they got to make their decision. And uh, 
the boys that we put in, you know, they could uh, have an impact on the game and they had an impact on the game. So everybody stood up for each other and the fight and the desire that this boy showed was uh, tremendous. You guys have been a team all year where players have stepped up when it's their opportunity, right? Just how impressed have you been with this team's ability to step up when necessary and the depth of the squad to just get the job done when they need to? I mean, that is, um, that is, that is a true testament to the, to the players. Uh, we have a vision and philosophy and we, and we told them in the beginning, everybody that comes in will get their chance. And uh, we all know in football, the first 11 that starts the season is never the first 11 that finish off the season. But also everybody going to play a part because and that's what you need. Team chips, right? And that's what we're about. We're about the team. And the re resilience and the character of this group is magnificent. And for me as a coach, it's enjoyable to every day wake up and have to work with a group of men like this. You have a lot of intensity, uh, a lot of intensity with, uh, with Pacific. It was an intense game. Um, and then when Haynes uh, slammed into Escalante, which was a yellow card, maybe almost a yellow card and a half, um, you were very passionate about that. What were you trying to do? Were you just trying to, to make sure cooler heads prevailed and it didn't evolve into huh? you know, a bunch of yellow it's, cards? Or For me, it's simple. The game is there. You play the game the right way. If you're going to do extra other stuff in the game, you get what you deserve. Either you be mad about it or you're going to complain about it. We don't complain. If you kick us, we kick you. That's just simple as that. But don't complain afterwards. That's for me, it's the game. Right? We, we are a team. We respect our opposition. We respect everybody. Right? If you want to fight, we fight. If you want to go to war, we'll go to war. Right? Because that's what our group is. But I'm not going to stand and watch people throw extra stuff that is not in the game. I don't like it. And I will defend my players every single time. So if you score a goal, run to your position. But don't go try to uh, elbow or do all this other stuff. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not into it. That's why I asked specifically George to go at him. I did it. Because that's the game is. You want to play football, we play football. You want to fight, we fight. The choice is yours. Coach, uh, you and I talked about bad bounces the other day. Um, this one might be the biggest. I'm not sure. We've had a few. It seems like every time there's a playoff situation, we're talking about these calls or officiating. And I'd rather focus on the efforts of our guys this year because it, until the officiating improves in big moments, I'd rather focus on what we can control. And that's the effort that we put in. And the boys didn't stop. And I'm, I'm proud of them for everything they've been through this year. After saying that, I'm going to ask you about VAR mm -hmm. and whether it's something that you'd like to see in this league. Only um, just so there's no doubt, I think, because that's the issue now is there was a contentious decision that most seen it and the linesman didn't. So for and he's the only one that matters because I think if that's out, the momentum was with us. And uh, the game's about momentum and unfortunately that changed the, the flow of the game. Coach, uh, I know it's been disappointing, and just listening to Mason, how heartbroken he is. Uh, what was the, the the message to them specifically? And can you can you tell me, or are you guys thinking next year already, or are you just consoling at this point in terms of this loss? Yeah, I think it's a bit numbing to be honest, uh, Moses. Just because you know you're in the heat of the battle, and I'm the same as Mason. You know, uh, to me, that was a great street fight. 
it was playoff football. It was intense. They had goal action. They had moments, tackles. And I think we played to the conditions. It was hard out there. So, you know, sometimes it wasn't pretty, but my goodness, that was a great advert for just Canadian football, that it's tough and gritty. And, you know, and congratulations to Pacific. They've been a great contender this year. Um, and, and I tip my cap to them as then and wish them the best in the final. So the gaffers there, a jubilant Pamudu Kaha and a not-so-jubilant, understandable Tommy Wielden Jr. Before we, we look at who Pacific's going to play in the final, just get your thoughts on the job that Pamudu Kaha has done with Pacific FC these last two years. Took them into the playoffs last year. They lost in the semi-finals. This year, for much of the year, they were the better team for Mizaka in the CPL and fell a little bit short down the running. So many folk have talked about, oh, it's a one-man team, it's Marco Bustos, if Bustos isn't there, they can't do it. And they showed today they can do it. They've got a lot of talented yeah. guys there. Possibly too many talented guys for them to get the kind of run in the team that maybe some of the guys are needing to, to keep that yeah. consistency level going. But what what have you made of what Pa's done with them? Yeah, I mean, I think he's been brilliant. Uh, obviously, we've had time to talk to him and, and listen and hear about his philosophy and then also just observe a little bit of his philosophy lived out. Um, I think he's, he's done brilliantly. And I, I really hope that um, one of two things happens. One is he keeps on kicking on at Pacific and takes them, you know, well, this year, maybe to the title and then, and then into the uh, CONCACAF league or I forget if they get the champions league out of this but no, anyways, be, into at, right now it'd be CONCACAF league which would be so exciting yeah, late, later it would be yeah okay. yeah so um but yeah just into uh another competition for them and for their supporters I think it'd be really really amazing and just continue to grow the club on the island and uh the support for it uh because he's such a um, uh, personable, charismatic uh, fellow, but also with really good understanding of football, and and he's shown some also some good um, tactical awareness as well, and how he set up his team. Also, yeah, it's a you can't you can't look at their season and say they were only about Marco Bustos. I mean, they knocked out no, but that's the, that's something that gets levied uh, at them a lot. Yeah, they knocked out the Whitecaps without Bustos. They went on a cup run where he didn't play in all the games. I mean, he was injured at various points, and they. Um, you know, uh, still did very well. Are they better with him and him in form? Of course, oh, for sure. Yeah, not a one-man team by any stretch. I what I liked on fr on Friday, it was Friday on the on his pre-game call. Um, when it was my turn to ask a question, before I could say anything, it's like Michael. Before you ask anything, I have a question for you. Are Scotland going to the World Cup? <laughs> so they made a little chat about Scotland for a while. So that that was good. He's confident Scotland and Canada will both be there. I, d I didn't use that audio in our extra podcast. I mean, Steve, it's a young team. And sure. you're going to get inconsistencies with, with young team. But what they've done under him, they're playing attractive football. And it's going to get eyes on par. I mean, he, he might want to hang around for another year, but I'm sure he's ambitious. He See, might want to go over to Europe and, and do something over there. See, the thing is with Pa is is he's the, uh, the, the high positive part of having a coach like we talked about Vanny Sartini before he's he's similar to that where he's a charismatic coach he can 
he engages with the fans. He engages with the media. He's being he wears his like emotions on his sleeve and stuff like that. Like we talked about it. Remember the the, the tournament, the island tournament. I I mentioned to you and I think I mentioned to Zach that I wish they had a a uh, uh, paw cam basically just a camera oh, on him all yeah. the time during a game. Uh, and and so he's he's the person who I think last year was a uh, a lot like into the game and, and now he's kind of he's kind of even keeled a little bit and and Zach talked about it is 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 mentality on the pitch like the the technical prowess and picking the right players at the right times and and having the right formation I think that's really a positive sign for him for Pacific's um, you know I hope hopefully he stays there but. Uh, eventually, somebody's gonna look look be looking out for him. He's got a lot of contacts in the football world. Um, in in like if, even if he wants to start off at a low level in Europe, he, I think he's got a lot of contacts in Norway, and he can easily and I think it's Norway, right? If I'm not yeah, mistaken. that's yeah, where he started. He, yeah, he played with uh, the international he, team there. I think he actually speaks Norwegian too. If I'm not oh, he speaks something like seven languages. Yeah, yeah. So he's 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 gonna be eventually. He's not gonna be at Pacific for long, basically. No, hopefully yeah. for. Hopefully, for their sake, he's there for a couple more years, but I, I'm not sure how long. It's basically the, the clock is ticking on when he's going to be moving up. If he lifts the North yeah. Star shield, I, I can see him going at the end of the season, and you would have to then imagine James Merriman would be the guy that would take over being the right-hand man under him for so long. But that we don't wish him away, obviously, but we do wish him all the success. So that yeah. was Saturday's exciting semi-final. Who would they play in the final? On Sunday, it was Forge FC hosting York United. If Forge won, they would be hosting the championship game. If York won, the final would be on the island in Starlight Stadium. Well, we had our hopes raised for 24 hours that we are going to get a trip to the island for a championship game, but it wasn't to be. And Forge were made to work hard, but got through with a 3-1 win over York United at Tim Hortons Field on Sunday afternoon. They opened to scoring in the ninth minute when Wubin's Passies was played through, but York made a good fight of it, tied things up in the 38th minute with a lovely goal from Michael Petrasso, lobbing Tristan Henry in the Forge goal from the edge of the box. It was a, a lovely little finish. But Forge turned it up a notch in the second half, Joshua Navarro put them back in the lead in the 66th minute. Nice kind of turn with the aid of a bit of a deflection that took the ball into his path, but finished it well, putting Forge 2-1 up. Then seven minutes later, Whitecaps Academy alumni Noah Verhoeven didn't know too much about this one, but the, but the ball deflected off him and it was flicked on from a corner, hit off him into the back of the net. 3-1 to Forge, and Forge were going for the 3 peak. So now we know it's probably what we expected. Forge FC are hosting the 2021 Championship game in Hamilton, but not until December the 5th because the Hamilton Ticats are hosting the CFL Eastern Conference semi-final on Sunday the 28th. So they, they can't get the stadium for that one. So it's delayed. It's not ideal for both teams having that break from CPL action, but it does play in Forge's hands because they've got a couple of CONCACAF league games at home and in Honduras in, in that spell as well. So they can keep sharp, but it's also going to tire them out. How, how big a factor do you think that could be, Zach? 
Yeah, I was looking at that uh, recently. The, the, they got this game mid midweek, which Matagua. Uh, yeah, will be yeah will be a huge drain on them. And so I think it gives Pacific a the lift and the advantage that they that they could use to to claim this trophy. I mean, what what are you expecting from from this one, Steve? Forge finished first in the CPL standings, fifty points, five ahead from Pacific. It's a final, though. Uh, as I said in our extra preview show, everything goes out the window that's happened before, and it's who's the better team in the day. And you saw that with Pacific getting the better out of Cavalry in the end. Yeah. Do do Pacific have another big fight in them? Uh, yeah, Forge just too strong. They're gonna have to because the, they haven't beat them this year at all. I don't think they even got any points off them, if I'm not correct. It's been three losses against Forge, so that's uh, they're gonna have to find a way because Forge is basically the you know the top team in CPL. I know not not nobody wants to really admit it. Uh, whether they're uh, pushed to the top spot by the league itself or or they've earned it themselves, um, it, it's it's basically they're the team that, to beat. Uh, whoever wants to be the champion, and until somebody dethrones them, uh, uh, they are they are the you know the kings of CPL right now. Um, it, it's just a matter of Forge finding a way, going over those last I believe three games they played this year. Um, I think one was in Winnipeg, and the other two were uh, home and away or whatever. And they just got to find a way what they did wrong and what they could do to correct that. Um, I, I think there were all one goal games. There was one uh, they where they lost three uh, nil, but the other two were one goal games. So. Um, yeah, it, it's a close thing, but it's just a matter of w- w- will the younger, um, energetic Pacific beat the veteran Forge team? And th- that's going to be the big key there. I, I think, though, as well, Zach, for the good of the league, and obviously we're biased uh, as West Coasters, but for the good of the league, having a team not Forge winning it three years in a row... It's good, and it's going to let people know that this talent spread out throughout this league. Yeah, but it's not just for the. It's not just um, out of nowhere, right? Like, I mean, you, we've been saying this for a while that it would be good for the league if there was more than um, more than just Forge winning, right? So, the bias, yes, is there, but it's this has been a long-standing perspective that I know you've shared lots, Michael. And so, I do think it would be. Well, I mean, I think there's. I think in the bigger picture, yes, it would be better for the league if Forge didn't win. But, um, you know, there is something nice about a dynasty, and I guess in CPL yeah, terms, no. it would be the beginning of a dynasty, right? Like in the same way, you know, in North American soccer, when when uh, MLS started, it was like DC United was like this big dynasty, right? So, yeah, I was going to say the 86ers as well, Steve. Yeah, the 86ers, like in the, yeah. In the old right, Canadian right, oh, yeah. soccer league, because they were dominant for so long. And it is a it's a nice story as well. And like big fans of Bobby Smirney Otterson with what he's done. I, I just I I want it so much for Pacific, for Pa, for all the guys that we know there. I think it's gonna be an absolutely cracking final and I really hope they get the numbers tuning into it and folk out here, no excuse not to. If you've got TELUS, it's free and TELUS to watch and it it should be fantastic. Yeah, and the thing is, is they they have uh, um, it, it, it bec- the fact that Forge has dominated over the last couple of years and won basically everything for CPL. It makes it more uh, sweeter when somebody knocks them off, and I think that's going to be the key right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Well, that is pretty much it for this episode of the AFTN Soccer Show. But we can't leave you without bringing you this episode's Wavelength. And this time around, we're going bang up to date with a song from 2021. And we're going down under to New Zealand this time for a band called Cumbia Blazera. They are both a Sunday League football team and a band that focuses on kind of Colombian Latin folk musical style. They describe themselves as the musical wing of the Sunday Blazers football team. And they said with so many well-known musicians in the team, it was inevitable that dance floor friendly football themed songs would follow. And that's exactly what they did. They brought out their debut album, Don't Argue With The Ref, on April 16th. It's a nine-track album. You can find it in all the usual places. Highly recommend it, checking it out. Cumbiablazera.bandcamp.com is one of the places you can find it. You can also find it on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, all those kind of places. And we're going to play you the very first song on the album. And it's called Game We Should Have Won.
Wellington, New Zealand, Cumbia Blazera, Game We Should Have Won, taken from their debut album Don't Argue With The Ref. You can check them out on Facebook, just search The Sunday Blazers, that's with a Z. Or you can also check them out on their website, cumbiablazera.co.nz. But that is it now for this episode of the AFTN Soccer Show. Some highs, some lows to talk about. Commiserations to Whitecaps FC, but jubilations for Pacific FC. Just before we go, guys, let everyone know where they can find them online. Anything that you've learned this week or any final thoughts, Steve? Um, you can find me on Twitter at WhitecapsBeat. And what I learned was if uh, to the family that you know has a last name Bakunz, be very careful of what you name your uh, kid, first name-wise. Yes. Oh, my. Zach. Uh, you can find me on... You find me on Twitter at Zachary M. Uh, the thing I learned is when you, you make a list, you're bound to leave someone out. Um, so from the last episode, uh, there's lots of there's a few people I left out. I want to give a shout out to uh, Bryden, um, who is an engineer here from the Lower Mainland, who was on our flight on the way out for the Costa Rica game. Um, Michael, I know you, you saw an email from him. Yes, you I might, forwarded uh, that on to you. He, he was really Bryden, hurt that you missed him out. <laughs> Bryden is a fellow engineer. Like, uh, Do you remember Danimal? Dan? Oh, yeah. Do you remember Dan? Yeah. yeah I haven't, I haven't seen Dan, Dan for ages. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so it was good to have Brighton on our plane and to hang out in the airport before the game. And then on the way home, I sat down on the plane, and there was a, a friend of mine who named Ryan Hare who listens to the show with his three sons. There was a group of 10 of them who came out, like, last minute, got, got a flight and uh, got tickets for the game and came out to the Mexico game. So... Uh, and I'm sure there's other people I'm forgetting about. But anyways, uh, the thing that I'm thankful for in this episode is I'm thankful for Steve Pander because I can now confirm that I have uh, completed the 2011 uh, Upper Deck. So you don't need uh, three. No, I'm good. I I, just, I miscounted somewhere or whatever. I think what I miscounted was I have my Alex Morgan card somewhere else. So that's when I miscounted. Oh. I think I So I, I have... Uh, I have a, another pack coming, and hopefully it's just filled with Alex Morgan rookie card. <laughs> that would be very good. You'll make an absolute fortune. I'm Michael McCall. You can find me on Twitter at AFTN Canada. Read all our stuff, AFTN.ca. And give us a like, subscribe, turn on notifications on YouTube, youtube.com backslash AFTN Canada. We're going to be doing some videos in the off-season just to get those back up there. Um, talking of things I learned this week in making money... I mentioned on a, a previous show that I had bought the Newport County third strip because it was a tie-in with friends of the show, Goldie Looking Chain, and it was your usual standard £40 price for, for the third kit, got it shipped over here, and we kind of joked and we were talking about it, it's like it's kind of describing it, it looks like the Burberry style and colours, but a bit different, so they, they didn't get sued. Well... Apparently not that different because Burberry weren't happy and they have made Newport and Hummel withdraw all the kits so the team won't be wearing it, they won't be selling it and people that have got the kit have been asked to return it to get replacements, free tickets etc etc but not many of them have gone out. I was one of the lucky ones that got it and I'm not returning it mainly because I like Goldie looking chain and I've got a collection of strips that's got tie-ins with bands and music. But I found out this week that it's become quite the collector's item and one of them went up on eBay this morning for a staggering 
£380. And that was its first bid. No one's bid yet that I'd seen. But I've got a nice little collector's item on my go. So thanks to Goldie Looking Chain for getting me to get that. And thanks to Newport County as well. But that is it for this episode now. It's been an up and down weekend. Thank you for listening as always. We'll be back next week with our Whitecaps end of season special. And we'll also have an interview in that with the Whitecaps new head of recruitment, Nickus Overhull. Until then, take care, stay safe, mon the Caps and mon Pacific FC. You can lift that shield. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life. Mm-hmm.